This is Bob Merberg, publisher of Hi-Ho, the spunky, evidence-based newsletter about work and well-being. I'm ever grateful that in July 2018, I heard from someone I didn't know, but who'd read some of my blog posts about tweaking your job to make it a better fit. Rob Baker wrote, Bob, I'm really interested in your posts about job crafting, and I've been studying this and implementing this. Would you be up for a call to compare notes? If so, drop me a line. We hit it off famously, and since then, I'm happy to call Rob a friend, despite the fact we've never met in person, but we've Zoomed regularly since then. I admire him as a person and as a colleague. He influences the way I think about work, and you'll get a taste of that in the discussion that follows. Rob authored the seminal book, Personalization at Work, which you can find on the Hi-Ho Bookstore and other online retailers. I could go on, but we're eager to get to the discussion in which Rob and I use the iconic Whistle While You Work scene from Disney's 1937 Snow White animated movie as a springboard to discuss job crafting in a way that breathes life into the subject and, at times, to be honest, challenges it in ways you won't find elsewhere. Trivia? We recorded this discussion five years to the day after Rob sent me that original outreach in 2018. It's not required, but I encourage you to watch the Whistle While You Work scene before listening to Rob and me talk about it. You can find it in the Hi-Ho post that accompanied this interview or on YouTube. Quick background on Rob before we get started. Rob Baker is a specialist in bringing positive psychology to life within organizations. He's the founder and calls himself Chief Positive Deviant of Tailored Thinking, a pioneering evidence-based positive psychology, well-being, and HR consultancy. The UK's CIPD named the HR Consultancy of the Year in 2020. Rob is a TEDx speaker and chartered fellow of the CIPD and the Australian HR Institute. He's world-leading when it comes to enabling and encouraging job crafting and personalized people experience, and his work, ideas, and research have been presented at academic and professional conferences around the globe. Here we go, my conversation with Rob Baker about job crafting through the lens of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Hi, this is Bob Merbert from Hi-Ho, and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Rob Baker, founder and chief positive deviant of the consultancy Tailored Thinking. Hi, Rob. Hi, Bob. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to see you again. I'm so grateful for the the day you reached out to me. You knew that I had a little bit of an interest in job crafting. Thanks, Bob. You were one of the early pioneers at that point in time. If you remember back, this is, and this is maybe four or five years ago, that we were writing in about job crafting in a high quality way. And so it kind of really connected with me. And it just makes you think about now, although the world hasn't shifted and changed, there's a lot more coverage and interest in crafting. I'm sure I would still find you out, Bob, somehow, but it's. <laughs> I think it was definitely easier three or four years ago to be distinctive by talking about this concept than it is today. True. So 
We're talking about job crafting, and I think we're going to be digging into it, especially in the context of the animated film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But people are listening to us right now who don't know what we're referring to. So can you say a little bit about what job crafting is? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So job crafting, when I explain it to individuals and teams and organizations, I talk about it's around personalizing and shaping your work and specifically how you act in your job, how you interact with other people and how you think about your job. So there's three core ways that I see people crafting. So it's around the tasks and activities, their the relationships with other people, and also in terms of their thoughts about work. So their connection to purpose or the value that it provides to them, the value of certain tasks. So they're the three elements. And I often use the metaphor of a suit jacket to describe your crafting. So if you think about your job, like going to a shop and you buy a jacket, in some shops in the UK, at least you can get them to personalize your jacket for you to make it a better fit for you. So it's like call it semi-tailored effectively. So you buy the jacket, you can't change the fabric, you can't change the style that's fixed. So the substantive element, but you can find ways to make it a better, more comfortable fit to you. And that's the way I often describe job crafting. So that if you think about your job as that jacket, you can't fundamentally reshape or change your, your job's in totality it's not designed around you but what you are invited to do is thinking about actually how are the ways you can make your job a better fit to your personal strengths your passions your your interests and we'll go into this a bit more but there's lots of benefits that we're kind of seeing from a research perspective in, in terms of doing that mm -hmm. i love the analogy to tailoring it communicates so effectively that we're not talking about creating a job for yourself or completely revamping a job or necessarily even redesigning it, but the word that comes to my mind is tweaking it. Yeah, yeah, tweaking, tailoring, iterative changes, customizing, all those words I think apply. Yeah, so I've been doing a series in Hi-Ho looking at work through the prism of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the Disney. I'm a fan, I'm a fan. And there's an iconic scene in the movie. I think of it as the whistle while you work scene where Snow White is singing that song and what has happened in the scene just for those people who don't remember it or never saw a bunch of uh, little forest critters have led Snow White to a remote cottage it turns out to be the seven dwarfs cottage and she arrives and the place is a mess and she sets about cleaning it but also directing these animals to clean it or to help her in a very upbeat way. And the way they do that, and it's, I really think, an, an adorable scene, and I will link to it any place where this conversation is described, including on Hi-Ho, so people can watch it for themselves. So the birds are teaming up to clear the dishes. They're bushy-tailed animals that are using their tails to dust and to scrub. There's a buck whose antlers serve as a clothes rack, raccoons are doing laundry and uh, some chipmunks use a turtle's i think it's just a, the turtle's stomach or the bottom of its shell as a washboard birds then are wringing out the laundry and hanging it to dry on a clothesline and i thought this could be a launching point because they all have a little responsibility in this project and they are tweaking the way they do it tailoring the way they do it to meet their strengths. And so while I think you and I would agree, 
this scene, Nurse Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, was not about job crafting, and there was no intended message about job crafting. It's just a novel way to give us a springboard to talk about it. Is that fair to say, Rob? I I think that's a really good summary. If I can launch into this a little bit, just immediately. I think you're saying that it wasn't by design. There wasn't a a message, a deeper message within this. But I think what we we did find, and I've forgotten how many years old Snow White is, but this innate understanding, I think, that we have and always have had that work is maybe more fun, more productive, more enjoyable when we align it to our strengths where we've got some autonomy and things. I, de- I definitely don't think it was by design, but I think it's also the fact that it's just in there and isn't accepted that's the way it is. And most people will just go along with the scene without, it won't, it won't kind of, I don't think anyone will wrestle with it in terms of saying, well, that's not how work is. So I think it's, that's interesting in and of itself. I agree with you. And I think it sort of goes to my overall thoughts about various things that I've written about with work and Snow White is that while it might not have been uh, Walt Disney's intent when he made the movie, which was in 1937, I understand a remake is being made, but it is still a reflection of something in society and it still influences things in the case of a movie like that, especially children, because whether it was the intent or not, kids are seeing exactly what you just said that work can be more productive and fun when it's tailored to your strengths and when you have autonomy. So, so Rob, you and I had had a brief chat about this in advance, and you had asked me the question, and this might not even relate directly to job crafting, of whether Snow White had permission from the dwarves or when she launched this i'm calling yeah, it a project that's, of- that's right i have now revisited the whole of snow white and it was a pleasure so thank you for that but you sent me through the, the scene i couldn't remember but yeah. when i first seen it, it was whether snow white had just gone in there and just said right i'm going to take it upon myself to to tidy up with with the help of the animals or whether it was as an explicit understanding or contract which is what happened i know happens later on and you've done some digging on that i looked at it and i saw that no she had she had not been told to do it she hadn't met the dwarves yet she arrived there and and again i'm not too sure of the relevance of this because i could sort of see how on the one hand it could be seen as you know she took the initiative to do this task that she saw needed to be done or it could be interpreted as overstepping her bounds, which actually that is a relevant question for job crafting. When is it initiative and when is it uh, doing something that you weren't supposed to do yeah. or the organization didn't want you to do? So I think a framework that we might come back to is around, and this is informed by work that Sharon Parker has done, who's an eminent researcher, and she's, she's talked about a concept called wise proactivity. So when is it appropriate and positive for someone to be proactivity and i've got my own spin on this that i've developed around why is job crafting so when is job crafting effective and so when i'm working with organizations to look at crafting you should look at it through three lenses so number one is around how is this going to impact on you as an as an individual or in this case an animal as we might come to in terms of (laughs) animal and number two is in terms of how does it affect your colleagues or co-workers or the people that you're working with and the third is around to what extent is this in support of or in divergence from the purpose and the mission of your role or the organization in itself 
So when mm-hmm. I asked you about the kind of thing of Snow White, I was interested in trying to look at it in terms of was there a clear... Snow White gave them a clear purpose for the animals to clean and tidy the space, but it was around in service of whom and for what purpose and i wasn't sure of that at that point in time i don't think we know either i think it was just because she thought it was the right thing to to do right right i like the way you you broke that down in terms of being proactive and the three ways the three parameters of how does it affect you how does it affect your co-workers how does it affect the mission of the organization i would say that there are a couple of other examples where that comes up in this scene maybe the most important one the one that stands out for me is there's a scene where a couple of the animals i think a little fawn and and squirrels maybe maybe chipmunks are cleaning dishes and they're doing it by uh they're trying to remember if they're licking the dishes or yeah they're there's, there's definitely licking there's definitely licking involved yeah <laughs> from the from the deer definitely definitely i can confirm okay good thank you and she redirects them and says, no, 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 put them in the tub to wash them. So that almost seems like, mm, if anything, an example of where it could be seen as an allegory for the conflict with the organizational mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's another point where, for example, there's some of the, I can call them squirrels, but they might not be squirrels. They are kind of using their tails to brush dirt away into a mouse hole. They are cleaning the things, but by hiding the, the mess, basically, in terms of the... Mm-hmm. Terms of and so what does that relate to? Does that relate to job crafting? The point that I think is worth noting, and this is something that Amy Wisniewski, job crafting was first written about in 2001 by Amy Wisniewski and Jane Dutton. And one of the things that... Amy very articulately talks about is the fact that if you don't do job crafting openly, it just happens anyway, but it happens in secret. And it tends to happen in ways that people, it's it's in their own self-interest, not necessarily from a selfish way, but that's because it's just saying you do it to meet your, your individual needs. It's unchecked, it's unseen. And actually, interestingly enough, there's more women do job crafting than men broadly in terms of organizationally. And women are less likely to, talk about crafting because they're worried about it being taken Mm. away from them. They have a fear that if they craft openly, someone will tell them not to do it. Mm -hmm. So in terms of this, this example, what we're seeing is that if these individuals, if Snow White hadn't been in that room and said, go and clean these plates, you would have had on the face of it, clean plates. And I'm putting quote marks as I'm saying that, and you would have got dust swept away, but you wouldn't have necessarily seen or been aware of them doing it in a way that's maybe not optimal although my son or my daughter four-year-old my daughter might think that licking her plate is an optimal way of cleaning her plate. <laughs> so we've still got some way to go there in the baker household but for me the message of the interesting thing is by doing job crafting openly so so at the start what snow white did from a leadership perspective and again getting a bit technical research as we call this being autonomative supportive autonomous supportive so it's around giving people flexibility within a framework so the framework was clean mm-hmm. and but they gave her go flexibility she she found that some people were doing it but they were maybe doing it in suboptimal ways and so that right. she could adjust on that process but if she hadn't been there or because maybe it was un, unchecked then individuals might have without necessarily knowing that doing it with with malevolence done it in a way that would have had a negative impact on other people mm-hmm. this is why i think it's so important and so helpful for us to be crafting in the open rather than in a secret or subversive way. 
there's just so much to unpack there, Rob. People do job craft. So it's not necessarily a question, depending on the organization, as to whether uh, you're going to have them job craft. They are going to job craft, but with, and I think the term you used was supportive autonomy, by incorporating that into a leadership uh, style, you can support job crafting in a way that is broadly productive, let's say, yes. for, for, yeah. for everyone and the yeah. organization. And you can make sure it meets those tests, right, as well. So you can openly say, does it, like, I want you to craft all this task, but you need to also think about these things. So, so because if, if, if Snow White wanted to be a step further with the team, or they would have learned for the next time they went to clean a house, that that you don't clean dust in a way that's that messes your neighbors you clean using water rather than your tongue like yeah um, exactly so i think it's you could have learned from it by doing it by doing it open and you wouldn't need to do that next time around but you you do need to go through that open learning process together sometimes to work out what's what works and what doesn't and the other thing if we're giving snow white credit and plaudits for her leadership ability is the way that she course corrects everyone in a in a very Snow Whiteish kind of way that is not very punitive, and she doesn't get upset. And you can imagine other kind of Disney characters throwing shoes at people and you know mm-hmm. shouting at people for doing things in a negative way. She finds a nice, elegant way of giving in the moment feedback that they can respond to. I think one of the quotable quotes from this conversation, Rob, will be or one of the best pieces of take-home advice will be to clean with water and not with tongue. <laughs> um, but when she sees the animals licking the dishes, she says. And really, the only voice she has, which is sort of positive and encouraging, no, 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 put them in the tub. Yeah. So she gives them an alternative. Yeah. And no, 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 I mean, fits into the lyrics of the song, but she's not really particularly scolding them. She's helping them with another way that they can do it that also actually worked for them. Yeah, so there were a few places where the job crafting, it seemed to have the potential to backfire. So there was a piece with the dishes. There was the other one you described where the squirrels are sweeping the dirt under the rug. It's sort of like a little sneaky job crafting. And I guess she redirects them there too. So then they sweep it into a mouse hole instead, which backfires on one of the other critters, which is the mouse living in that hole who comes out and is none too pleased. And then there was also a small scene where there's a chipmunk trying to clear a spider web, actually winding up the yes, yes. web. And the spider comes down and is like, you know, why are you destroying the work I did? I did the yeah. work. Yeah, Your yeah, job yeah, yeah, crafting yeah. is undoing it. It's actually a really rich and nice metaphor for crafting. People will take shortcuts. People will, whether they do it knowingly or not, people will potentially do something that will have an impact on others within their organization. And we see that a lot within particularly more complex organizations where the work of one might butt against the work of, of others. So again, this comes back to my point earlier on in terms of the the benefit of work job crafting kind of openly is that we approach job crafting or encourage people to think about job crafting in a very experimental approach with a growth mindset. And by the growth mindset saying, look, we're not going to get this right first time every time and but we have this we have the expectations that we're going to do it in ways that's not going to harm or, or negatively impact ourselves our colleagues or the, the wider purpose of the organization and we're going to just see if this works for us and if it doesn't if we get feedback from someone that is not working 
then we will then we will make a, a, a change. So to give you a real world example of this, if someone maybe not the cobweb because of example, but there was a, a team that was working from a marketing and sales for sales function, and they were using a, a, a CRM a CRM system. And there's probably some people listening to this who like CRM systems, but the majority of people, when I asked them about updating kind of transactional systems, they would kind of reach for pins to put in their eyes, and the. And so in terms of someone's crafting, they were saying, right, I'm going to do my CRM stuff in a, in a more time bound things. I'm going to be more playful with it. I'm going to do it on a, on a Friday and I'm going to update to so the sales. People were saying, rather than do it all the time, I'm just going to, which is what they're asked to do. I'm going to do it in one batch. And the feedback they got from colleagues was saying, look, it was great that you were updating the system because they weren't doing it in a productive way, but they were doing it so quickly. They weren't inputting all the information that they needed to, or if they were, they weren't doing it in a high quality way. And so the fact that they could do this crafting openly and say, this is what I'm trying to do. Right. And, and just so you know, colleagues will know about it is that they can then course correct and understand whether it's working for them or not. So the, the experiment in terms of saying, finding a time to do it and being focused and attention about it worked because you weren't updating the information, but doing it at the speed that you were doing it doesn't quite work. And we need you to give some more in these fields to get rather than getting kind of details in it, we need more information. So it's not quite the same as the cobweb of the spider being dismantled, but it was saying it was engaging another party that was saying, actually your crafting will have an impact on how we can do our job. Yeah. So again, that's the, the advantage of doing it openly, but that's not the way that everyone necessarily does it because not everyone is encouraged to do it. I work with individuals and they'll look at, they'll look at how they can leverage crop crafting in their situation with the organization to grow their careers or the skills or their knowledge or make their job more interesting. They might be doing it openly, but there's not the invitation to have an active conversation about it. Whereas the ones that I think that can make the biggest difference are where you have the snow white kind of leaders. And it sounds like a denigration when I say a snowflake take leadership cell, but those, those cultures or teams when they're invited to do it openly and discuss it, the impact with other people and do an experimental way. Yeah, it's good to have that example. And, and I really liked where you went and you talked about coaching individuals because I, I still want to get back to the scene, but I know that people who are listening to this, Rob, will be some people in circles that you and I have both traveled in, you know, HR and well-being and, and leadership and so forth. And some people who are just people with jobs, you know, because I write for everyone who's interested in work or or in any way. So I was wondering if you're not in a leadership position and if maybe you feel like your leadership might have some real reservations about this concept of job crafting, is there something that you can do in your own job to apply job crafting principles yeah so i think absolutely you can the way that i've been the the invitation is if you think about your jacket your job is your jacket another question that i often ask what's one an experiment that you could try and make your job one percent better so if i get people to think and again i deliberately talk about small stakes changes because they're more likely to be sustainable and attainable and people can be a bit more playful with them in terms of doing that what's an active a proactive way that you can make your job more you or better effectively by changing your tasks, growing your skills, your relationships with other people, connecting to your purpose, or think about how you can make it healthier from a mental or physical perspective. And we pretty much find, again, depending on in in 
any context, if the invitation and the motivation is correct or the opportunities are there, then people can craft. But it does take energy. And the fact that you saw from the scene is that there's lots of kind of energy moving around and doing mm. things in coordination. It's like if everyone was tired out, tuckered out from having got to the cabin and no one had any energy, it'd be very difficult for for them to have the the energy or the creativity to to clean the, the place. Snow White's task would have been that much harder to motivate the colleagues. And the same applies to the to organizational perspective. If people don't have energy, to, it's very hard to then to craft. Crafting effectively is around changing something and change takes an element of energy. It's just, it's a reality of, of life, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, you know, once, once again, that could launch me into, you know, just dozens of other questions, but our time isn't, unlimited but those are great points so back to the scene you know there there was one piece of the scene i think maybe in a conversation you had brought it to my attention rob where some of the birds who are characters in the scene are flying in and arranging flowers which was interesting to me so first let me just sort of ask you does that evoke for you any thoughts about job crafting well, the, yeah the reason i noted i think the reason i mentioned to you because again i was interested in what the direction that snow white gave to the, the woodland animals or to record as a collective stick with that for now was that around to, to clean and to put the place to, to spick and span so she didn't talk about making it more hospitable the interesting thing about the birds analogy was that they were doing something that they could see would value added but it wasn't something they were necessarily being directed to do and in organizations that one of the byproducts of, of job crafting that we see and research shows there's a strong link to is around job crafting and innovation and around finding and adding value in, in potentially unexpected ways. Yeah. Uh, so not only do the birds do it because they think it's going to be something that's going to value added. Well, I'm assuming that the birds think it's going to be valuable it's because it create a nice environment for, for, the, for the dwarfs or the owners. They also have a really clever way of like, brings the watering so they have a, a handkerchief that's filled with water that they've collected and then then poke a hole into it waters the, the plant so it's quite innovative so job crafting is linked to not only doing value-added tasks and activities just one point about the research is that one of the ways that they've measured the impact and performance of job crafting is around customer satisfaction so they've looked at people in a variety of different industries who are in the customer facing roles and then they've measured job crafting behaviors and those that tended to have higher levels of customer satisfaction ratings also tended to report higher in job crafting. And it's not causal necessarily, but it's more around signaling that potentially that those people who are crafting will, will go the extra mile or find ways to do that or have the energy to provide an extra customer service. So that links with the, with the I imagine the dwarves will be delighted with their, with their, mm-hmm. with their, with their flowers, but then also the, the idea of innovation so that when crafting is around it's associated with innovation and creative problem solving within the organizations because it's saying we need to do something new and differently we are uh, permitted and able to think and do things differently in this environment whatever that is and so i think that the watering of the flowers is an example of that yeah i love the connection between job crafting and innovation and we start to see how all these things tie in together job crafting innovation autonomy it, uh, you know, one of the things that I was thinking as as you were talking, Rob, is it sort of positions job crafting, and maybe this is obvious to people, as a form of employee voice, because they're sort of expressing themselves. I always sort of think like 
even regardless of the level of the job, like it doesn't have to be a knowledge-based job. You and I both know that some of this original study of job crafting was done with hospital housekeepers or, or janitors who were finding small ways to make a difference in patients' lives, bringing in water, adjusting a picture, arranging flowers, things like that, that innovation isn't always technology. Sometimes it's just better ways to do things. And job crafting, it's almost like the, it's like a tangible form of employee voice. I love, it. I love that. I haven't, I haven't thought about it or had it kind of expressed quite in that way, but I think it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense. It's around, I don't know if a voice, of, I might come around to that, like I'd like it as a provocation. So it's around definitely employee contribution or how an employee shows, shows up. And again, one of the things that someone who I really admired, Julia Smith, she talks about voice and she says very much the absence of voice is an active choice as much as voice itself. If someone isn't raising their voice or isn't saying something, that's a deliberate choice. It might get shouted down, but but it's an active choice not to. And in the same way, if you think about that crafting, there's an active choice about whether someone does want to craft or not. And Right. It's unlikely to come back to the environment when it doesn't happen. If you're in an environment where you've got no energy or you haven't got the confidence or courage or you don't care enough, frankly, in terms of what you're doing, you're unlikely to craft your job. Or if you are going to craft your job, you're unlikely to do it in positive and proactive ways. It'd probably be ways that would serve you in that in that in that instance because you don't care about the context. You don't have the energy to think about anyone else apart from yourself in that environment. So we just explored this for the first time as we, as we're talking, but I think that voice in terms of actually doing it or actively not doing it is is interesting as well. Everything you just said to me evoked thoughts about one of the most popular topics that we're reading about in business and HR is psychological safety. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know if this totally aligns with you, but an environment that supports job crafting is related to a psychologically safe environment. I think I agree with you. The way I would say it, if you want people to craft openly and kind of experimentally, then then I would say some element of psychological safety is a necessity to do it. It would be a mediator or a moderator from a research perspective. So if people feel safe, they will be able to experiment and they'll be given notes if they're doing it in unhelpful ways or positive ways, and that will help them and their colleagues. Because yeah. if you don't feel psychological safe, then you're unlikely to want to kind of do something openly in case you get kind of told off about it and so i definitely think there's a relationship there as you're talking absolutely well so coming back to the scene a, a couple of things that i want to touch on you talked about the birds arranging the flowers one thing that that exemplified that really is exemplified throughout the scene is teamwork so do you have any thoughts about job crafting within teams or related to teams yeah, job crafting and teamwork is something that's under under explored, actually, I think, from a research and a practical perspective. And again, it's one of those things that's common sense to a certain extent is that some teams that are just highly effective, they'll be crafting without knowing it. There's different ways that people can craft. Google, one of the things that Google did some experimentation with around team crafting was around task swapping, effectively. So they tried, I've got 10 tasks of which, this is a very simplified example, but they've got 10 tasks. I love three of them. I'm not very good at two of them and okay. And then other colleagues are saying, well, actually, the things you're not very good at, I love doing those things. So I'll, I'll take those off your plate and we'll swap them or reallocate them. And I think often we see within organizations 
the temptation for fairness and equity that everyone will do a bit of everything to make it kind of air and, and balance. And I think that doesn't always necessarily serve everyone as often it does when we're striving for equity. It doesn't, if, if we're doing that by just being treating people exactly the same, it doesn't always necessarily work out in, in the end. So if you think about the example that we talked about with the animals, you, you gave a nice introduction in terms of saying that, that people, the buck was carrying the clothes the turtle was carrying the dishes at one point and using his stomach for cleaning. So what the animals were doing was they were playing to their strengths effectively and saying, how can I contribute in terms of doing this? If you ask the turtle to use their tail to sweep up the dust, it was going to take an awful long time, right? But if you ask the squirrels to do it, then they can do it very quickly. And similarly, if you got one of the birds to take clothing in and out, it would take forever, which if you can load up the doe or deer or the stag, again, my, my taxidermy or not taxidermy, my, that's a very different dark turn. If I do my, taxidermy, <laughs> my, my, my animal definitions are escaping me here, but the, yeah, if we ask them to, it wouldn't work. So they've very nicely and very quickly kind of redistributed their task around their, their industry. For me, that's analogous to task crafting and what we haven't seen. So the team did this in almost without any instruction but what you might see if you were to do this in an orchestrated way you're saying right we need to clean up and these are things we need to do who's going to do what and so the squirrels will say right we're up for cleaning so you'd have an act more active discussion and we find that works really well in terms of in terms of certain projects and tasks and giving that opportunity where it falls down is that sometimes you need some people to do certain tasks that they might not want to do mm-hmm. and so and in that instance, two questions I often ask is like, do you understand, do you absolutely have to do it? And if you do absolutely have to have to do it, there's probably a good reason why you have to do it. Is everyone on your team really, really crystal clear about why you're doing what you're doing? So the CRM example that I talked about earlier on, that yeah. customer relationship management system, like you could say no one, no one really liked doing it. I don't think I think it was maybe one person who was a massive outlier with the team saying, I like doing this. Everyone else thought it was a necessary evil. But everyone was understood that in order to be able to kind of contact and engage with their customers in a coordinated way, they needed some database to be able to do it. So everyone was really clear on the purpose of that task, even though they didn't necessarily like doing it. So that's one question. So you need to know why you're doing that. And the second is around saying, okay, if that's the case and no one likes to do it, you you are being fair. So you're not kind of necessarily saying that it's just one or two falls on one or two different people to do it. Is that you try and share that burden if you can amongst the, amongst the team. So everyone is taking it an element of pain rather than it feeling that it's disproportionately kind of falling on one or, or one or two people. So it just happened in this example in a lovely magical Walt Disney way that they found to kind of be able to manage the, the tasks in a, in a in a very evenly and fair and fun way yeah yeah i'm really glad you brought that up rob i do think that there will be people listening and and you know that sometimes i think this way that might have this thought of like well like one thought would be well work isn't always fun you know that sometimes when you have a job you have to do things that you don't like doing and i think you just put that in a great perspective that one if there's a reason why you're doing it if, and understanding that reason, that will make that a better process for you. If there's not a reason, then it, that's something that needs to be addressed. And the allocation of those types of tasks that no one wants to do is important. I might be putting words into your mouth here. But sometimes this happens where some people are more willing to do the unpleasant work and they 
then wind up accumulating the unpleasant work, right? That they be- Oh, yeah. No, I think that makes complete sense. And I think if we were to give like a sweeping statement here, which is a bit, a bit careful, if you look at female versus male kind of roles in terms of organizations, they tend to find, okay, in terms of, I've forgotten the, the neat term for it, but it's around unrecognized labor or something. So like taking notes in meetings, organ- coordinating activities, social events, other things that it tends to be kind of, female or women who pick those tasks up it's not evenly distributed within organizations and and workplaces and so i think you will find some instances where people could will will pick up for for those aspects the thing that i'm interested in and this is why a task crafting conversation or team discussion about this would be interesting is saying where do those activities lie and all of a sudden you start seeing that they sit within certain certain groups or certain individuals and then you can have a discussion a discussion and it might be that that works because actually yeah in a team you do need one or two different people to who will always pick up where it's needed and we all know those people and we all are reliant on those individuals and hopefully they're recognized not always the, always the case and that's just life i think in terms of but I, but I, anything you can do to to move it from it being invisible to being visible is a, is a good thing Okay, that's a great take-home point. I know we have to start wrapping up. One question I want to be sure to ask you, though, again, so many that we're just not going to get to, but is, are there jobs that cannot be crafted, in your uh, view? So I I, I used to think the, the answer is potentially, but I've what I've tried to do is to try and step away from me making assumptions about what people can and can't do or craft and can't craft and actually be curious about this space because I haven't found a a setting where people if they've given the right information and they're given the right tools haven't been able to find a way to craft in some respects and I think as you mentioned at the start kind of cleaners and housekeepers were some of the earlier people that we found job crafting action which is the last place you would find it and I've seen job crafting in action in contact centers and with laboratory technicians and other places where on the face of it, I would make a judgment saying these individuals can't do it. So I'd be very careful about saying that there's a place that you're saying this people can't, can't do it. I find that if you create the invitation of saying, can you make your job better in some way? Most people will find a way. They may not change their tasks though, because they're, they're fixed. They might think about how they interact with their colleagues. And just to, to mention it's in plain sight, but they are whistling while they work, right? And I know you've written a really nice blog. And if you haven't, you should pause this now and go and read your post about this, Bob. But that's a form of crafting in itself. They didn't have to whistle while they work. They could have just done their task in silence and they could have done it individually as well. They didn't do it as a, didn't do it as a collective. So they, they are kind of crafting their job in that way as well. So I think personally, I wouldn't ever want to, to say to someone or someone consistent, you could not craft. I think there's certain cultures and environments that would make crafting very, very difficult and people not want to do it because they're tired, they're burnt out, there's that lack of trust. So I think that definitely exists. And I'm much more confident about saying no in those instances that I am I am a particular a particular role. But it's an invitation. It's something that people want to take up and not something that everyone necessarily doesn't want to do. That's okay too. But I would just want more people to be aware of this as an opportunity and aware of the the potential benefits in doing so. And then they can make an active choice for themselves about whether they want to do it or not. So you get your suit jacket and you may not want to personalize it, right? You might just like say, okay, I'm just gonna wear my jacket and I'm looking forward to taking it off again at the end of the day and that's it. And that's fine. But I would love everyone to know that they have the opportunity to, to personalize that jacket in some way and leave it to them 
to to think about what's the way that that they can do it in their in their context. I, I love that. It's it's so positive, so empowering, and also I think very realistic. Those things in my mind don't always go together, but you have me absolutely persuaded. Those are just great words of wisdom. Rob, we're going to have to wrap up. I I do want to ask how people can get in touch with you. But first, before we do that, anything else that stands out in your mind about job crafting that you want to be sure to get across to folks who might be listening? No, there's there's lots of different things that we could cover and and discuss. Hopefully people will find this interesting in itself. And I personally myself was really fascinated when you came up with the with the novel not challenge the invitation again to say actually does this apply i'm really fascinated about actually how you can use your crafting through this particular lens so thank you for the opportunity and it was a very innovative and different direction that i was expecting the conversations to go you're welcome and thank you you and i i think are the only two people on this planet that could be having this conversation <laughs> <laughs> and it's that's that's a, a nice thing. Rob, how can people learn more about you or get in touch with you? Yeah, I think well, if anyone does want to, then please do. I'm on LinkedIn, social media, the and my company that I've founded who can specialize in bringing job crafting to life is called Tailored Thinking. So you can find us at tailorthinking.co.uk and there's loads of information there. But hopefully I'm not too hard to find on the internet. And I'm always willing and and hopeful to help out if anyone's curious about anything that I said today. Wonderful, wonderful. And and I should mention that for folks listening who have not yet subscribed, please subscribe to Hi-Ho. If you enjoyed this type of content, there'll be more of that. It's H-E-I-G-H-H-O dot substack dot com. A regular biweekly newsletter about work, workplaces, and worker well-being. Always trying to look at it through a, a different lens based in evidence and as i say and audacity rob baker thank you so much it's been a pleasure as always uh thanks so much bob and uh, really really enjoyed it really appreciated the opportunity to geek out in a, in a wonderful way <laughs> take care